welcome to Inkling Jeremy here on the Public Broadcasting Network. And as you know, we've been fundraising, trying to push to get uh, get the bills paid. Everyone's coming through like champs, but we still got a little more to go. So keep that fundage flowing. And, you know, go to republicbroadcasting.org and smash the donate. Send your checker money order payable to RBN. RBN for your checker money order. And you can mail that to 2251 Double Creek Drive, Suite 302, Round Rock, Texas 78664, 1-800-724-2719, extension 3. For the debit or credit card donation, set up a recurring donation, even $5 would be would be great. Anything you can give. So this is your Wednesday night broadcast where I will focus on biblical matters, spiritual health and wellness. You got a little taste of that today on Patrick and Jeremy Part 2, getting uh, deep into the weeds uh, about the uh, Christian Zionists and the uh, Orthodox Jews that are looking for this third temple and they're looking for their Messiah. So you might want to check that out. Um, tonight, I have a sermon clip from Stephen Anderson uh, out of Faithful Word Baptist Church in Arizona. This is going to focus on being born again. Uh, that's going to get us into some resurrection stuff at the end of the of the clip, and uh, probably probably get get into that, get into resurrection and rapture stuff in the last thirty minutes. You can give me a call five one two two four eight eight two five two if you want to weigh in. So this is a lengthy clip, but I think it's worth it. There really wasn't a good place to break it in the middle. Mike's going to play it through the first break. It's about 21 minutes. Um, This is on John 3, being born again. Uh, Roll that clip if you would, Mike, and I'll be back for commentary afterwards. Man, John chapter 3 is one of the most famous passages in the entire Bible. Of course, this is Jesus Uh, being confronted by Nicodemus, who is a ruler of the Jews. Nicodemus comes to him by night. The Bible says in verse 1, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, what's interesting about this right away is the fact that Nicodemus is a ruler of the Jews, and he basically is kind of speaking for them by saying, well, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, because no man can do these miracles which thou doest except God be with them. But of course, as we go throughout the book of John, what we're going to see over and over again is that the leadership of the Jews, the rulers, whether it's the rulers of the Pharisees, the rulers of the scribes, the rulers down at the temple with the Sadducees, they don't believe in Jesus. And they're publicly very negative toward Jesus. And yet he makes this statement, well, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. In fact, later in the book of John, the the rulers of the Jews are even going to bring up the fact Hey, none of the rulers have believed in him. It's just these people who don't know the law. They're cursed. You know, do you see any of the big names or the leaders of our religion believing in him? They're going to bring that up later on. 
And yet Nicodemus secretly comes to him by night and kind of admits, hey, we see the stuff you're doing. We know that you're a teacher come from God. Jesus replies to this by saying, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so what's going on in this interaction is that Nicodemus is saying, well, you know, I have to kind of acknowledge or I know that you're a teacher come from God. But then Jesus basically turned around and saying, you're not saved. You're not saved. You guys aren't saved, including you yourself. You're not even saved. So apparently there's a difference between just kind of knowing that Jesus is a teacher come from God and actually being saved. Right. So an intellectual assent to facts about Jesus is not enough to be saved, saying, well, I know Jesus is a teacher come from God or I know Jesus did these miracles or, you know, I know that Jesus died on the cross or was buried or rose again. An intellectual assent to facts is not enough to be saved. You have to actually believe on the Lord Jesus Christ in order to be saved. And what that means is that you put your faith and trust in Jesus as your Savior, meaning that you're relying on Him to get you to heaven. You're not relying on your own good works or your adherence to the law or any other religious process that you go through. You know, you're putting all your faith in what Jesus Christ has done for you as your Savior. You're trusting Him. That's what it means to be saved, not to just merely assent to the facts about Jesus. Now, how can a person say, well, I know you're a teacher come from God, and then turn around and not believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? Seems kind of crazy, right? If, if, if you know the guy is a teacher come from God, then why don't you believe in him? And the simple answer is his will. He did not want to believe in Jesus. The rulers of the Jews don't want to believe in Jesus. They can't really deny what they're seeing has power. They can't deny the miracles that Jesus is doing, but yet they refuse to believe on him because they don't want to believe on him. And that's going to be addressed a little bit later in the chapter, why some people don't want to believe in Jesus. But we can think of why the rulers of the Jews didn't want to believe in Jesus, because they want to be kind of the top dogs. They've been teaching a certain way. They don't want to admit that they've been wrong about some of the things that they've been teaching. And these are prideful people who believe that they're going to heaven because they're so religious and they're so good. They want to earn their own way into heaven through their works, as opposed to just accepting a free gift of salvation. And so Jesus basically just gets right to the point by saying, you need to be saved, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And by the way, this is a good tip. You know, when someone comes up to you and they're not saved and they ask you questions about religion or they, they want to talk to you about the Bible, you know, find a way to get on the subject of salvation because that's what people really need. You know, you could spend an hour or two hours discussing some other Bible doctrine with someone, but if they're not saved, they're never really truly going to get it, are they? And so the best thing to do is to always try to kind of direct the conversation toward salvation, which is what Jesus does here. He uh, comes to him by night. He says, rabbi. Now, what, what does the word rabbi mean? Well, the word rabbi literally means my master in the sense of not master as in a master and a servant, not master like boss, but master like a master and a disciple, like a Kung Fu master 
or like a schoolmaster or something, right? So it's that type of master. So he's basically giving him that title, but coming to him humbly, kind of submitting to him here and saying, you know, I want to hear what you have to say. Teach me. But unfortunately, we're going to go many more chapters into the book of John, and we're going to see that Nicodemus uh, is still kind of on the fence about Jesus, and he kind of halfway speaks up for Jesus publicly later in the book, in uh, chapter number seven, I believe, and then, you know, the other rulers of Jews just shut him down and just kind of shut his mouth. And of course, he's there to, to uh, you know, at the death of Christ and so forth. This sermon's not about Nicodemus, though. I want to focus more on uh, what this conversation entails. And so Jesus says, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God, right? In order to go to heaven, in order to enter the kingdom of God, you must be born again. What does it mean to be born again? Well, the first time you're born, you're born to your human parents on this earth. And then when you're born again, you become a child of God. And we've already seen that concept in the book of John, because in John chapter 1, verse 12, it said, as many as received him, referring to Jesus, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So everyone is not automatically a child of God. A lot of people will say, hey, we're all God's children, referring to all of humanity. This is not true. You become a child of God through faith in Christ. You become a child of God by being born again. That is what the new birth is. The Bible says in verse four, Nicodemus saith unto him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now, Nicodemus completely misses the point because he's not saved. And unsaved people cannot understand the things of God. And so because of his lack of faith, this goes over his head. Although he's an extremely educated man in the scripture, he doesn't understand this. And so he asks this silly question like, oh, what what, am I going to be born again? Do I got to go back in my mother's womb? It's a stupid question, right? Jesus answered, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. Now, here's the thing about being born again. It doesn't say born three times. It doesn't say get born again and again. It says born again. Now, look, we've all already been born once. So we need to be born again. How many times is that? One time, right? We were born once into our earthly family. Now we need to be born of the Spirit. We need to be born into God's family. And so it's born again, not born a third time, not born repeatedly, but just born again, meaning one more time in addition to the time that you've already done. I mean, if I ate at a restaurant one time and I said, I'm going to eat there again, I'm going one more time. Okay, that's what we're talking about here. So a lot of people will twist this verse and look. People who twist this verse is because they're not saved, because it's it's so easy to understand. This is an extremely simple verse, but unsaved people are sitting here like Nicodemus, and they just don't get it, because really there's nothing complicated going on here. Get born again. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. So, you know, you've been born with respect to your flesh, but now you need to be born with respect to your spirit. You've been physically born. Now you need to be spiritually born. Pretty easy to understand, right? 
Here's what people will twist, though. They'll take this verse right here in verse number five. Uh, Verily I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And here's what they say. Oh, born of water, that's baptism. <laughs> that's baptism. And they'll say, so you got to be baptized. And you, so basically what they're looking for is like three births. Because they're like, well, you've already been born physically, but then you got to get born of water. Then you got to get born of the spirit. And to them, that is being, you know, and they don't do real baptism. They baptize you like this. They go, that's how they baptize you. Okay. They don't actually dunk you underwater like the Bible says, but they baptism by spring. No, they don't actually use spit, but they might as well because it's just as unbiblical. And so, and so the thing about if you sit in the front row, you might get a little spit on you. Sorry. It's a splash zone. That's just a normal part of preaching anyway. So here's the thing about that is that this is not baptism because the water birth is referring to the physical birth. Let the Bible define itself, right? Because the Bible actually says, except man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit and spirit. Notice how water has been replaced by flesh. Now, this is a common, common, common thing throughout the Bible. It's called parallelism. Okay. In the Old Testament, all Hebrew poetry is based upon parallelism. So have you ever noticed that when you're reading the poetic books of the Bible, everything is stated twice? So you're reading the book of Psalms. It just states everything twice. You're reading the book of Job. Everything is said twice. You read Proverbs, everything is said twice. And it's like two halves of the verse are like two sides of a coin. And that's how Hebrew poetry works. But it's not just Hebrew poetry. It's also just the whole Bible is written in that way where you've got, you know, the books of the Kings and the books of the Chronicles. And it's like you have all these doublets, all these couples, all these pairs where you say one thing one way, another thing another way, and you replace different words and it gives you a deeper understanding by getting the same statement twice. So, you know, just to give you the super easiest example, you can think about Psalm 2, famous psalm, right? Why do the heathen rage? That's one half of the verse. And the people imagine a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves. The rulers take counsel together against the Lord, against his anointed. Do you see how these are parallels? Okay, so this is what's going on in this passage. There's a parallel here. You have to be born of water and of the spirit. Why do I have to be born of water and of the spirit? Because that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That's why the water birth's not going to be enough. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. So marvel not that I said to you, you must be born again. Now, why would being born of the flesh be called being born of water? Well, first of all, our bodies are 70% water when it comes to our flesh body. How about that? But not only that, the fact is that when a woman gives birth, her water breaks, right? You are born in a sack of water. It's called your bag of waters. And so the water birth is you bursting forth from your mother's womb in a gush of water. That is the water birth. And then, this, then there's the spiritual birth, which is subsequent, which is when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so don't let anybody dupe you into believing that this is somehow saying you have to be baptized to be saved. Anyone who teaches that is a false teacher. They're not saved. And, and, and plus, they have about as much spiritual understanding as Nicodemus. If they're going to read and go, oh, 
baptism. There's no way that baptism is what we're talking about. It's totally alien to this context. And the Bible defines it in the next verse. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth. And now here is the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the spirit. So the Bible here is talking about the wind blowing. And, and, you know, here's the thing about the wind. You can't really see the wind itself, per se, can you? You can only see the effects of the wind. Like you, you could see maybe leaves or something that are being blown by the wind. You can see a flag flapping in the wind. So you're not really seeing the wind. You're just seeing evidence of the wind or the effect of the wind. But the wind itself is invisible. And, and it says, you know, you can't tell. It says in verse number eight, whence it cometh and whither it goeth. You know, it, it goes where it wants. You can hear the sound of it, but you can't really tell where it's going and, and what it's doing because it's invisible unless you have some wind sock or something that you're using to, to figure out what's going on. Looking at the wind itself isn't really going to tell you anything about it. And so the same goes for those that are born of the spirit, meaning that, you know, you can't really look at someone and see if they've been born again, right? We, we can't really see uh, inside their heart. We can't see if their spirit is dead or if their spirit is alive. But, you know, there could obviously be evidence that we could see where, you know, someone, for example, says that they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ or someone speaks the word of God and it seems that they have an understanding of the word of God, or maybe we could see some kind of a transformation in someone's life and say, okay, yeah, this person probably really did get saved, right? Uh, Those that are born of the spirit cannot be outwardly identified necessarily because this is a change that takes place in the heart, right? When you get saved, it's something that is happening inside you, in your spirit, not in your physical body. And so we don't always know who's saved and who's not. There could be people that we think are saved, and it turns out they're not, and vice versa, because we can't really see inside. We can only look at the outside and try to figure out whether people are saved or not, but but we can't really know for sure, except we know that we ourselves for sure are saved, because we obviously know whether we believed in Jesus or not. And so it, it says here, the wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit, Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? In verse 10, Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel and knowest not these things? Like, like so you're uh, this religious leader, you're a ruler of the Jews, you're a master of Israel, and yet you don't even know this most basic truth of getting saved. And let me tell you something, there are all kinds of pastors preachers, evangelists, televangelists, radio evangelists. There are people out there who maybe have studied and gotten master's degrees and PhDs in theology that are not saved. Because you can be a master and you can be a doctor of divinity and you can have all of this training and you can have the position of being looked up to and people are looking to you and then you're sneaking up to Jesus in the middle of the night and being like, so what's, you know, what's going on here? Can you tell me what's up with the new birth? Because I don't even know. Well, Jesus is like, well, you don't know much then. If you're not even saved, 
How can you lead? That's why Jesus is constantly calling these people blind leaders of the blind. And he says, if the blind lead the blind, both of them are going to fall into the ditch. And the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, the Jews at that time, their leaders were blind leaders of the blind. They're not saved. Now, why is being saved called being born again? Well, we already talked about the fact that you become a child of God when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But also, you're made up of a body, a soul, and a spirit. And before you're saved, your spirit is dead. But once you believe on Jesus Christ, your spirit is quickened or brought to life or resurrected. And it is resurrected, not the same as it was before, but it's actually resurrected as a new creature. And of course, the resurrection of Christ pictures this. Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross, was buried And I'm talking about his body was physically buried in the tomb, right? His body was there, dead for three days and three nights. And then, of course, Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. But the body that rose again from the dead, although it's the same body, it's transformed. Because now Jesus is in a glorified body. Okay? Whereas before that his body was more constrained to the limitations that we as human beings have of being tired, hungry, thirsty, and, and you know, not... I mean, for example, when Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, they're all in the upper room together and the doors are all shut and Jesus just enters the room without going through, the, without the door opening. Now, you don't see Jesus doing that before the resurrection. You don't see him just walking through walls or walking through doors, right? But Jesus Christ's glorified body, it's a different situation. Now, the Bible also says that at Christ's second coming, we will be resurrected, right? The dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be got up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And the Bible says we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. This corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. And so in a moment, whether we've died or whether we're alive at the time that Christ returns, our mortal body, our corrupt body, will be transformed in a moment into an immortal body, an incorruptible body. And so the the body that's resurrected is different than our current body. So let's say you're blind or deaf or, you know, you have a bum leg or something, right? The new body, that's all going to be fixed. And so it's the same thing with the spirit. When you believe on Jesus Christ, the spirit, the resurrected spirit, the quickened spirit within you is perfect. Just like your glorified body someday is going to be perfect. Your spirit's perfect. So my body's not perfect. My soul's not perfect, right? But I do have a perfectly created righteous spirit within me. And that's the new creature in Christ. And so the reason it's called a new birth is because you have this new creature that is born inside of you, your spirit. Your spirit's born again. It's a new creature, okay? And so now that I'm saved, I have the flesh. I still have the same sinful flesh, including my sinful brain, that's going to lead me astray and cause me to sin. And then I also have that new man, that inward man, that new creature of the spirit that only wants to do what's right, that only wants to serve God and love God. And so now there's a war going on, a conflict every day. Am I going to walk in the spirit or am I going to walk in the flesh? 
Okay, that was the conclusion of the sermon clip about being born again. We breached a lot of topics in that. Uh, first, I want to get to the topic of born of water, born of water. So the very basic understanding of that is, yes, that there is a physical birth uh, and there is a spiritual birth. And as Jesus is talking to Nicodemus about this, now you wouldn't think that would be very controversial, but apparently it is uh, between the Calvinists and the non-Calvinists. Um, Calvinists will say that it does not talk about the water birth or the you know the, the baby being held in the sack of water, but that it's referring to Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27, uh, talking about God cleansing uh, Israel. Now, I'm like, well, why not both? Because uh, I think that is very much what the, the passage is saying. And in John 3, Jesus follows that up immediately with, you know, things that are physical or physical, things that are spiritual or spiritual. But there is also a cleansing that happens that Ezekiel 36 is talking about. So I'll read it real quick. It's Ezekiel 36, uh, 25 through 27. This is the Lord speaking to Israel, biblical Israel, by the way, through the prophet Ezekiel. 25, I will sprinkle clean water upon you, and ye shall be clean. From all your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put in you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you an heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. So the Lord is addressing Israel when they were at a point of rebellion, and he's telling them that one day that he's going to clean them up by the new birth. So, yeah, I do think Jesus is referring to this, uh, but it's also um, the born of water is, is also a physical birth. The Calvinists focus on it because they're, they're really emphasizing the fact that, um, that your life is going to be cleaned up and there's going to be a radical transformation um, when you're born again. And that you're, you know, the Lord will make you walk into, uh, walk in His statutes, you know. And he will, He will clean your life up with that water. That's what they're saying. The water is. It's just something that I've ran into as I've went down all of these rabbit holes of the different, uh, the systematic theologies that people use uh, that that specifically Calvinists use. So my official position is it's both. The water born of water is both the Lord cleaning up your life. And it's the, the physical birth there um, as you are being born again. Also understand that there is spirit baptism. John the Baptist said that uh, he baptized with water. Right? John said, I baptize with water. But there comes one after me who will baptize with the Holy Ghost. So he's speaking of the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. So at the, at the new birth, there is what's called spirit baptism. This is what Peter is talking about in Acts 2 uh, when he stated that all these 3,000 souls were saved, you know, repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. That is spirit baptism because there's no way they could have baptized 3,000 people in a few hours that night after the sermon. They'd have to have went all the way down to the Jordan River and that would have taken all day. So he's speaking strictly in Acts 2 of spiritual baptism being baptized by the holy spirit at the new birth 
um, 3,000 people at once right there, bam, at the day of Pentecost. So that clears up the born of the water thing. Um, we're coming up on the break. I want to get into some of the things the speaker mentioned about uh, the new body, uh, your, your saved spirit living in your old body, and one day having a new body. That's going to get us into some rapture stuff, which I think will be fun. Back on the other side. You are tuned in to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Visit our website by going to republicbroadcasting.org. Do you begin to smell some funky little things going on? Let me share this story with you. It's not so much a story. It's something I wrote years ago. Read your history, people. Stock markets collapse on Friday. Bank seizures, closures, holidays take place after business hours on Friday. Do currencies or governments also collapse on Friday? (laughs) Tomorrow's Friday. Will the end come on this Friday or will the inevitable collapse hold off for a while? The next round of the worst financial crisis in a hundred years is coming, people. And the government is out to make you and I pay for it. Will your savings survive a global banking wipeout? What happens when the U.S. sees hyperinflation? What if taxes soar not only for the rich? Can you survive the stock market tanks? Look, between a stock market wipeout, waves of bank failures, soaring government spending that will lead to hyperinflation and the destruction of the dollar's value, isn't it time that you prepare for the uncertainty which lies ahead? Protect your money now or forever kiss it goodbye. My friends, I offer you over six decades' experience of hard asset ownership and knowledge. And I'm prepared to handle the smallest detail in the balanced protection of your portfolio. For as the future of uncertainty continues to blanket this nation of ours, I believe that I can offer you the privacy, safety, security, and possibly some profitability which you deserve. And so I invite you to visit SierraMondrePreciousMetals.com for further information regarding protecting your wealth. Or call me, Jeffrey Bennett, at 602-799-8214. Or by email at KettleMoraineLTD at Cox.net for private consultation. Once again, our phone number 602-799-8214. It's almost Friday. February is heart month. And every year, Extendivite has a sale. This year is no different. Extendivite is regularly $69.95 plus shipping and handling for a two-month supply. In February, Extendivite is only $57.50 for a two-month supply plus shipping and handling. Extendivite is a combination of garlic, cayenne, hawthorn, bilberry, ginkgo biloba, valerian, and milk thistle. These ingredients work synergistically to improve your overall health. So don't delay. Join the Extendivite family today. To order, call 1-877-928-8822 or visit extendivite.com. That's X-T-E-N-D-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Extend your life with Extendivite. 
back with spiritual health and wellness on your Wednesday night broadcast of In Plain Sight. It's getting pretty deep, but that's all right. You're a very intelligent audience, and I think that you're following along well. Before I move on from the spirit birth, I, I want to put a fine point on this Ezekiel 36 passage, um, talking about the Lord sprinkling them with water and cleaning up their, their lives, giving them a new heart. This is talking to the context of this, and I'm about to read more to give you more context. This is very important. He's talking to the house of Israel, and I'm talking Old Testament biblical Israel, um, and he's addressing them at a time when they had rebelled against him. They're going through the Babylonian captivity, and he's talking about bringing them out, bringing them back, and putting new hearts in them, and and cleaning them up from all of their uh, all of their filthiness. Now, an application can be made certainly to anyone who is born again. The Lord renews your he, he he gives you a new heart. You know, he revives your spirit. You're a new creation, and your life is going to be cleaned up. He's going to clean up your life. He's going to cause you to walk in his statutes. Doesn't mean you're always going to be perfect at it. Doesn't mean you're not going to fall. But there's going to be a noticeable difference. So, of course, that application can be made. Similarly, how Romans 10, um, you know, which is addressed to Israel, Romans 9, 10, and 11, honestly, to the remnant of Israel, the real Israel, uh, which I would just reiterate, not this fake state of Israel that we're witnessing today, but the real remnant of that biblical Israel from the Old Testament. Romans 10 is, is telling them that if they will confess with their mouth, the Lord Jesus and believe in their heart that God has raised him from the dead, then they'll be saved. <clears throat> For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. What he's talking about is that a spiritual change happens first in your heart. With the heart one believes unto righteousness. So the, the, the change inside comes first, and then that's going to be followed by change outside. Right? With the mouth confession is made. There's a physical thing. There's an action that you do. You confess. You live uh, a better life. So let me give you a little more context of this. This Ezekiel 36 passage. Start with verse 22 this time. Therefore say unto the house of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God, I do not this for your sakes, O house of Israel, but for mine holy name's sake which ye have profaned among the nations, whether you went. And I will sanctify my great name, which was profaned among the heathen, which ye have profaned in the midst of them. And the heathen shall know that I am the Lord. Heathen and nation are the same word, by the way, just throwing that out there. The heathen will know that I am the Lord, saith the Lord God, when I shall be sanctified in you before their eyes. For I will take you from among the heathen, and gather you out of all countries, and will bring you into your own land. Now, this is one of the big passages that get misunderstood. People saw the regathering of Israel under powers like Herzl and the World Jewish Congress and the Balfour Declaration. And these people, I don't even think that the majority of these people that were gathered in Israel that are there now, Netanyahu and the gang, I don't think they can even trace back to biblical Israel. But there is a remnant of real Israel somewhere out there that are scattered about that the Lord is referring to here. 
And you see, the Christian Zionists took this, and a lot of the false teachers that led them did this on purpose. And this was what the Zionist movement, uh, one of the many verses that it was based on. Okay? It says that, I will take you from among out of all the countries and will bring you into your own land. Verse 25, then I will sprinkle clean water upon you, and ye shall be clean from all your filthiness, and from all your idols will I cleanse you. Question, is the current state of Israel sprinkled and cleansed now? No, they're over there killing babies. They're, they are worshiping idols. They don't even believe that Jesus is the Son of God and was the Messiah. So we don't see this happening. You see a regathering of people in the Middle East, but you don't see this cleansing of the heart and a new spirit. Verse 26, a new heart will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put uh, my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And ye shall keep my judgments and do them. And ye shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. And ye shall be my people and I will be your God. So there's a major transformation that has to take place among the remnant of Israel before they're given their land back. See, they're not getting their land back, and then they change, which is what you're, the people are expecting them to do now, the Christian Zionists. This is a huge, huge thing that I, you know, I really want people to grasp and to understand as to um, how to square some of these circles, right? So there has to be a, a change in the heart before there can be a change in your body and your actions. And again, this can apply to anyone who is born again. When you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, he will begin to clean your life up. It's called sanctification. I think I covered it uh, a few weeks ago. I know I covered it when Christmas came on. Uh, sanctification is the lifelong process of the Lord cleaning up your life, putting you through different trials, and getting you prepared for that new body. Now, the resurrection, this is another thing that we can talk about the resurrection and the rapture. So I mentioned today on uh, the show with Patrick that the Christian Zionists are wish they're wanting this to be the regathering of Israel. They're wanting the third temple. They want to see the Antichrist come on the scene because they understand something about eschatology um, and they understand that this will bring about the Lord Jesus, the second coming. Uh, 1 Thessalonians talks about the Lord destroying the Antichrist with the breath of his lips. So the only one that can stop him is the return of the Lord. All right. Um, 2 Thessalonians 2 talks about the man of sin setting in the temple of God, declaring himself to be God. So that's where we get this prophecy of the third temple. There's not a temple there now. There's the Alaska Mosque. So that's got to be either done away with or scooted over and the the third temple built there for this prophecy to happen in 2 Thessalonians 2, right? So the, the Christian Zionists are looking forward to this. They want to usher it on. They send money, you know, to Israel to get the red heifer and all that thing, that stuff going for the future sacrifices. And, of course, the Jews look at this and they – they don't recognize Jesus as the Messiah, so they're looking for the Messiah. Antichrist comes on the scene. 
He's a very, very powerful political and military and religious leader. They, they follow him. They sign a contract with him, Daniel 9, a seven-year contract. That's where we get the idea of the seven-year tribulation. It's called Daniel's 70th seven, or the 77s in Daniel, which that, that's a huge can to open here at, at 20 minutes before the show ends. So that might be for another night. But just understand that, that the, the Jews do sign a covenant with the Antichrist. Okay, And then before I go to the calls, where we get the idea of the rapture right, is First Thessalonians 4. All right, now, it's not called the rapture. It's called the catching away. All right. Paul addresses this in First Thessalonians 4.13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. That's a euphemism for death for the Christian sleep. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then which we are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. That, that word caught up is where they're getting raptured. It's not in the text. But there is this idea of the Lord returning. There's dead Christians and alive Christians or sleeping Christians, right? And the dead in Christ arise first, and then those that are alive are caught up in the air and transformed immediately into the new body. So this is what this is what people talk about when they talk about the rapture. And then, I mean, it's a thing. I believe exactly what the Bible says there. The timing of it is what I'm not sure of, and I don't think anybody is. Let me go to the phones. Um, George in Houston, welcome. Taking my call. Um, I wanted to ask if it would be fair to say that that your view of eschatology is is a is the historic premillennial view um, as opposed to dispensational premillennialism. Well, um, yeah, and dispensational people really get bent out of shape over that word. It's just a systematic theology. It's just a means of putting things in place. Um, but because of Schofield and the whole Christian Zionist thing, it became a hated word. And it, it was sort of people say, well, dispensationalism is why, you know, we have these Israel and Jew worshipers. Right. But really, it's just a way to categorize things. So as I see the scripture, the only chronology that makes sense to me is that you have the third temple being built. The Antichrist comes to power. Jews sign a covenant for seven years. That kicks off the seven years. God pours his judgment out on the earth, um, which is called the day of the Lord. And it's a period that lasts more than a day. The day is figurative. And this culminates in the return of the Lord Jesus Christ to literally stop the Antichrist. I think the catching away what they would call the rapture, that verse I just read about the dead in Christ rising first and those that are alive and remain will meet them in the air. That could be before the seven year period. It could be in the middle, but the only thing that doesn't make sense, it wouldn't make sense for it to happen after the Lord returns. That did, that really wouldn't make sense. So I'm not taking a position on um, pre or post tribulation. The rapture is imminent or the catching away. Now the millennium has to be after the return of Christ. There's no way we've been living in the millennium, bro. 
with 60 million babies murdered since Roe versus Wade, the babies being murdered by the by the Jews over in Israel now, all the violence and the war and the corruption. Just look at the corruption in, in all of the churches, not just the Roman Catholic. So there is no way we've been living in the millennium. I'm definitely um, pre-millennial. And in other words, okay. all of these events have to happen before the millennium. Okay, yeah, I know there's problems with, with, the, with that view, the amillennial view. It's just that, um, you know, the, the dispensational view is basically the church is sort of a parenthesis in God's plan, and that once he gets the church out of the way through the rapture, he's going to start dealing with Israel again, and he's going to give them a political kingdom, um, you know, over, over that piece of the Mediterranean uh, and, and I would like to suggest that there's a lot of Old Testament eschatology that is fulfilled in the New Testament in the church, and we can we can safely say that, um, like the, the temple in that's described at the end of Ezekiel. I mean that really uh, it's difficult to know where to place that unless it's really just a spiritual sort of of meaning to it. Right. It, I mean, it's obviously a temple that's never been built yet because of its grand size. Um, but, for example, the, the Gentiles coming into the church in Acts 15, James the Just quotes Amos 9 as being fulfilled by that. And then on the day of Pentecost, Peter and is speaking in, in those tongues, and, uh, and that is a fulfillment of Joel, too. See, like the Old Testament eschatology is... We're going to build a temple. There's going to be a political king who's the descendant of David ruling on the throne. All the nations are going to flock to Jerusalem, and we're all going to make make sacrifices there again. And and but Jesus has done away with the sacrifices. So, like, yeah. I, what I would say is that Hebrews, the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, controls the meaning of the old, and, and that the Old Testament prophecies are fulfilled through the church, and they're not literal, and you can't expect a literal fulfillment of them. You know? I would say really quick about Joel, uh, the prophecy of Joel uh, of, of your of the the spirit being released. That you had a, I don't necessarily believe in partial fulfillments, but you had a shadow fulfillment in the day of Pentecost, and Peter was quoting that to sort of make an application of that prophecy there, um, because he, not all of it, the moon didn't turn to blood, right? That all of the other catastrophic events that Joel talks about didn't happen. So, right. so Peter is saying that, look, in the same way that God's going to pour his spirit out on the real Israel in the future, we're, we're, we're applying this right now. He's pouring it on the church. This is a little preview. It's a little sneak peek. You know, and you, you make some valid points. There's some circles that can't be squared. I don't know how they could bring back the sacrificial system in light of the book of Hebrews. It seems like it's possible. But, yeah, but just, if you read Ezekiel, that's what he does. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, and remember in Ezekiel, the the 36th chapter, the, the verses I read, and there's many others where he talks about restoring Israel to their land. Of course, I do not absolutely not believe that the Israel we see today is that, and that's what the Christian Zionists did. So right. it, it's very difficult, and I'm not, I'm not going to argue with anyone over it. I'll have a friendly discussion, but you're bringing up some great points, and you really know your Bible, man. I'm impressed. Well, I'll try. Uh, but it, it is difficult, you know, uh, placing the timing of, of, of things, right? And, yeah. um, and yeah, you know, there's that 
there's that catching away I read about in First uh, Thessalonians four. I mean, there it's it's plain as day. We're gonna meet the Lord in the air. I mean, that's that's the rapture. I mean, the rapture is a thing. I just it's just not just a thing as Hagee uses it. It's but it's a thing biblically. And where that happens, I would have to place it at the second coming. Now, now the the, the other dispensational theory is that there's two comings. There's where he appears in the air and uh, raptures up the 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 live Christians and the dead Christians are resurrected. And then he makes a second coming where he touches down. That's how they square that circle. The people that believe the rapture is before. Yeah, Mike, if you would skip the break, if you don't, I know we're break skipping tonight a lot, but the people that place uh, the rapture before the tribulation, that's what they believe. They believe that he appears in the air and that's not the official second coming. Right. And so you get the, you get the seven years from, it's not in Revelation, you get that from Daniel, and you read that back into Revelation, and and well, I kind of have a problem with that. Uh, yeah, the, that's the only way to make the 77, you know what I mean by Daniel 9, the 70, um, 77s, 77s have been declared upon Israel, yes. and, and they talk about one block of seven years being left out, and that that they sign a covenant with this prince that is to come uh, for that seven years. That's where we're getting that. You're right about reading it into Revelation, but Daniel and Revelation both agree with the three and a half years, the period of the day of the Lord. Um, that's mentioned several times in Revelation, and Daniel mentions it. And it's how do we know that's about not Antiochus Epiphanes? Because Antiochus Epiphanes makes a, a treaty and, and yeah, breaks if you go back to, If you go back to Daniel 8, that was for six and a half years. Antiochus stopped the sacrifice for six and a half years, and and, and Daniel and tw- Daniel twelve is talking about um, a three and a half year period, as is Revelation. So that that's the only problem with that. I've had people ask me that too about Antiochus. I think Antiochus was a again not not a fulfillment of the Antichrist, but sort of a shadowing, a foreshadowing. He did a lot of things that the Antichrist will do. Antiochus wanted to take over. Alexander the Great's complete empire, you know, it was left to his four generals. He understood the importance of trade between, you know, um, the East and, and the West there and, and trade down in Africa. And he understood that if you controlled that area, which is basically the greater Israel, you know, that you could kind of put the put a chokehold on trade. And the Antichrist Definitely. is going to do that, according to Daniel 11. Yeah, and certainly the Romans come in and stop him because if Antiochus was able to take over Egypt, then he would be a, a, a strong rival to the growing power of Rome, and so Rome kind yeah. of gets up to its neck in trouble in that part of the world. You know, who knows how that happens? Never seen that in our lives, have we? Um, but you know, they try to play <laughs> referee, and then they end up having to just go in and, and start running things, right? And think about now how how the shift is off of the West and and, and America, and the shift is coming back on, like, the Belt and Road Initiative uh, and that whole area being important again um, with with Russia and China sort of taking over uh, Eurasia. um, That area of greater Israel is going to be very important again, uh, and access to Africa is going to be important. So it's... I mean, to me, that's sort of lining it up for, you know, for the the, the Antichrist to t- take these areas over. 
So are you, are you basically a millennial? Uh, that, that tends to be, um, the way I look at things. But the problem with, with that is that you, you know, in Isaiah, it talks about this time period where, you know, uh, the child reaches into a snake's den and uh, doesn't get bit. Um, if you live to only a hundred, you're considered young. And, 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 and I think all millennials have a problem placing that time period, uh, in, in the, in history. And when is that going to be? Because it seems like death hasn't been totally eliminated, but yet there's some golden age. And I think that's the most difficult passage that, that all millennials have to deal with. And you just have to there's say, also, well, Isaiah is being, um, he, he's being he, hyperbolic, just like the cosmic language in Joel. You know, when you describe how much you love somebody, you don't say it in terribly factual terms. You know, I love you according to my bond. No, it's like as tall as the highest mountain, as bottom of the ocean, as hell. You know, that's the way people talk in, in, in a hyperbolic way. You got the literal thousand-year binding of Satan in Revelation 19. Right, so, and I, I wouldn't take that necessarily down. that way. Yeah. Well, again, um, you know, different different things on different points of view. I mean, if we're not talking about being born again, like I'm flexible in discussion, but like I will not budge on you're saved by grace through faith. No works. Oh, I agree in the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. So, and that's why I push it so hard on Wednesday night. Um, all right. What else you got, man? Uh, this has been a good show. Um, we may have to do a show together sometime. Hey, yeah, maybe, maybe we could, uh, you know, maybe record it ahead of time, first few times. But yeah, sure. I mean, uh, I wouldn't have a problem. Wanna, you want to leave your number with Michael, see if that we can ever make that happen. Um, it was a good back and forth. I felt like I had a co-host rather than a caller. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, okay. Yeah, no problem, man. Uh, I don't know how much time you got left, but I, I appreciate the time you gave me, man. Yeah. No, I'm, I've got a few minutes. Um, I'm just going to make a few, uh, a few announcements. Did you have a, a, a final, how about a final thought, a final thought? Well, I, I would I would say, and I'm not sure if I understood uh, Pastor Anderson, but I, I would say that the water is connected to baptism, in a, in a, and that the washing, like the washing of regeneration, it is connected to the spiritual change, like being baptized into Christ's death. And I think that that is what that means. It, it um, you know, it's not referring to just water. It's it's connected to the spirit, and that's what I would say. Yeah, well, now, here's where I won't budge. I do not believe at all that getting baptized um, is part of your being born again. Like, in other words, being born again all happens when you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and that, that you're talking about a spiritual rebirth there. And then after you're completely saved, and if you died before you could get water baptized, you would go to heaven. But water baptism is an obedience that you do to show it what's happened inside of you. I don't I agree. So that's where I can't yeah. budge on. I can't. Yeah. But Go good ahead. Christians from the past have said baptism is necessary for salvation. I mean, Tertullian is the first one in the Western Latin tradition to say that, um, you know, well, I'm talking about but, what the Bible says, cause you could find flaws in what all of these men have written major flaws. No, that I disagree with the Bible. But that's where we get that idea. It comes from a pretty long back and it starts with him. And Augustine, and um, you know, on on down the line. 
Of course, you got the thief on the cross. You didn't have a chance to do anything. Right, exactly, exactly. So you, you have to take, you know, that's a good point. That's a good point. Hey, man, we, we better wrap it up with shows at the end. I really appreciate your call. Thanks for the input. Okay, man. I'll hang on and talk to Mike. All right. Thanks a lot. Later. And this is the end of the show. Uh, we're going to have a special John Statmiller show uh, rally. Let's see. With his first report after the January 6th D.C. rally coming up next. Um, I, this aired on January 11th, 2021. I think that's what Mike is saying here in the notes. But anyway, stay tuned. It's going to be where John Statmiller sort of uh, debriefs the January 6th rally, and he went to that, as you remember. So it's going to be good stuff. You all stay classy, and God bless you. Tune in for the next uh, next show. Health Simple with Colorado Shioji. Fact bit number one. What goes in must come out. Whatever we ingest, breathe in, or transfer by contact must be expelled. Expelled directly as burned calories, through perspiration, respiration, or expelled via urinary and gastric channels. Every element that is not properly used or removed by our bodies become toxins. And toxins, as we know, are causal to every disease and ailment. Toxins are what makes us subpar unable to be at our best. Be your healthy best by cleansing your body of daily and deeply embedded toxins. Live stronger, and we hope live longer. Shilajit, legit Shilajit, that is like Colorado Shilajit, is perhaps the greatest homeopathic whole body remover of toxins made by Mother Earth. Look to the gold mountain and medical symbol logo in banners on republicbroadcasting.org to watch the full video and see more information. Use code GORBN when ordering. That's G-O-R-B-N. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth.